Uh, yes. Am I speaking to the sexiest boy in the world? It felt wrong. Unnatural to laugh. I really didn't want to. I was sulking into a glass of oaky Chardonnay. I was heartbroken, but I couldn't stop myself. He was still in college, a year younger than me. Smart and funny, with chestnut hair and eyes to match. Tall and lean like you. Great legs. He was a runner. He had a sexy side smile that melted me. He was adorable. We were adorable. We went to a Mexican place, the kind with lots of turquoise tile and multicolored Baja-inspired tapestries, tortilla maker out front. It was loud in every sense of the word, busy for a Tuesday night. But we were seated downstairs where the overhead was drowned out by the drop ceiling. The late November sun had long since set and the sidewalk level windows kept the street lights and cars lights at a dusky distance, leaving us in the cozy glow of a neon Corona sign and a string of jalapeno pepper lights. We were instantly smitten. We talked and talked there and then some more as we strolled under the trees and twinkling lights in the square. We'd had similar childhoods in the southern burbs of Boston. We'd kept safe emotional distances with our girlfriends, gone through the motions, proms, and such, but felt closer to our girlfriends. We liked the same music and the same movies. We could both do Christmas Vacation word for word. And he liked Seinfeld, too. I told him my Uncle Leo story. He was so impressed. His apartment was in the city, near his school, on a corner. Third floor, I think, a walk-up, where he invited me in for a nightcap after teaching me to parallel park. True story, yeah. And after a few sips of something seasonal, there was a first kiss. And he could kiss, too. No one can teach that. It's not like parallel parking. Then, for the first time in my life, I saw fireworks. Growing up, I'd gone into Boston dozens of times, but those visits were more touristy, more field trippy than exploratory. The runner introduced me to cute coffee shops and single slice pizza joints, the ones the students took to on streets I'd never heard of, places I'd never been, probably because I couldn't parallel park. The museums and the arboretums he took me to my first independent film and my first brunch and introduced me to Pad Thai and NPR. I loved spending time with him. I loved him. And just a day into Y2K, a month after that first kiss, with my tips freshly frosted, as you'll recall, blonde highlights were all the rage at the turn of the century. We were at my parents' house in my basement bachelor pad. He was sitting next to me on the bed. I couldn't not say it anymore. I hope you don't think this is weird, dropping my eyes to the duvet. But I think 
maybe I I want to tell you um, just before I was about to tell him he said I think I know what you're going to say and I love you too then I kissed him I'll tell you that first set of fireworks nothing by comparison young and in love. In the spring, we took a day trip to Provincetown. I'd never been. It was off season, so Commercial Street was pretty quiet. Some of the bars were still shuttered, some of the shops too. No drag queens, plenty of vacancy. Everyone that was there, visitors and locals alike, welcomed us without doing much at all. It was set in their warm smiles, sure, but it was mostly in their warm lack of attention to two boys or two girls or to anyone different. I'd never even dreamed of being different in the daylight. All I'd wanted to do back in college, back in Los Angeles, was to hold the boy's hand in the car. Yet two years later, After falling and feeling so lost, here I was, walking down the street I'd been searching for the entire time. And there, on a sun-drenched sidewalk, without a second thought, I reached out for the runner's hand, and we locked fingers. The air actually felt easier to breathe like I'd been doing it wrong my whole life. We were both barely out of the closet. A few people knew, some friends, but certainly not our families. And that had been okay. We had this thing that was just ours, a secret. And I kind of liked it. But after Commercial Street, after tasting that air, I knew I couldn't hold my breath much longer. Even though he'd spent the night at my house on more than one occasion, with them sleeping upstairs and us in the basement bachelor pad so he, quote, wouldn't have to worry about driving home, end quote, my parents still didn't know who he really was. Well, I thought. We used to make up a fake extra bed next to mine and then dishevel the blankets. It's hard to lie. Your brain has to build believable fiction from thin air without the benefit of the senses so you embellish with all those unnecessary details he was really comfortable on the floor on the air mattress that we used to take camping with a blanket well he had a blanket we had two blankets he had two blankets good god the truth is effortless all those neural pathways with their sounds and smells and pictures they're all pre-connected. I hated lying to them. I was ready to tell the people that I loved I was in love. That summer, just before I moved to my first apartment on Mass Ave, remember that place? On the eve of their two-week vacation, I paced my parents' kitchen. Today was the day. They were leaving tomorrow, and 
when they came back, I'd be moved out, and I knew I'd keep putting it off. And I did, until the last possible second. Company had arrived for an impromptu cocktail party. I had minutes. My mother was a few feet away, filling a tray with assorted snacks. And my dad had gone outside to play Mater D, to greet and get drink orders. I couldn't have been older than nine when I asked him what the word gay meant. Without missing a beat, he gestured toward my mom, who was ahead of us in the mall with my sister. You know how I love your mother, he asked. It's just like that, but it's two boys or two girls. Oh, can we get ice cream now? I asked him. Watch those hips, kid. Watch those hips. The chance was infinitesimal that my life wouldn't be infinitely better after I told them who the runner was, after I told them who I was. But once it's out there, it's out. No pun intended. There was a chance. Then I remembered Commercial Street. I imagined reintroducing the runner to my parents and meeting his and going to family functions together. I'd point him out to his mom as we sat together at his graduation. She'd say something like, Oh, he's wearing the tie you bought him. It looks nice on him. Or, you know, something like that. I imagined bringing him to work events as my plus one, to parties and concerts and the occasional backstage and casually introducing him as my boyfriend. And I imagined saying, I love you in public and not caring who heard. Also, they had been okay with the blonde highlights. That's half the battle right there. Just say it. It'll be fine. Um, is all I got out. I heard my father getting closer and in what I thought was a whisper said, Oh Christ, they're coming up the stairs. My mother must have heard me. Are they here? Is dad outside? No response from me. I was hot. Really hot, but not sweating. I knew there was no color in my face. What's wrong with you? It was almost off-handed. Huh? What? I was frozen, just staring at her. Now she knew something was up. She cocked her head and, in that gentle mom way, she said, What, honey? Just tell me. Like she needed me to say it, and then everything would be okay. And at the end of an exhale, with the air almost exhausted from my lungs, just about all gone, I said, I'm gay. As if I just told her that bamboo skewers are not only great for cooking kebabs, but also for cleaning tight crevices like between the backsplash and sink, she said calmly, Oh, I know. Then she pulled me in tight. It was the longest hug she'd ever given me as a grown-up. There were sniffles and tears, and she told me she loved me. And then, like the good wasps we were, we took a breath and wiped our eyes, just in time for my father to walk in with chilled white wine. It was the same with him, like something he already knew, because he kind of did. 
I told them both to read my journal from Los Angeles, don't forget. He asked me if that was why I'd been acting so weird all day. I just didn't want to disappoint you guys, I said. Then he looked at me dumbfounded. Like I'd told him there were some sandwiches that mayonnaise couldn't make better. Pure blasphemy. What? You could never. And then he just held me. While I had a quick cry on his shoulder. He patted my back and told me, Nothing to worry about. Everything will be okay. After freshening up and making a cameo at the cocktail party, I left for the runner's place. As I drove down the street, I had trick-or-treated on and learned to ride a bike on and drive Dad's truck on past the past by the spot where I caught the bus to school and the mailbox I ran to with letters for Santa and later applications for college. It felt like I was putting another landmark, another mile marker, in my rear view. When I got to the runner's apartment, we went up to the roof. It was only us up there. The midsummer sun was just beginning to set behind the city skyline. It was beautiful. He was so proud of me and so happy. Those were the first two things he said to me. He also said he was surprised. I hadn't told him I was going to do this. I think it really shook him. And I understood. We didn't share the same secret anymore. I don't know for how long, but we just held each other and swayed back and forth. Then, before we went back downstairs to the real world, I'll never forget it. He looked at me and smiled, and with a single tear streaming down his cheek, said, The only thing that I know for sure is that I love you so much. There was a one-year anniversary dinner at the Mexican place and a night at the hotel across the street. I decked out the room earlier with flowers and travel candles, of course. He always appreciated my flair for romance. Three weeks later, we snuggled under a tree and we swapped candy valentines two months after that. But just a few days shy of St. Patrick's, I parallel parked at his place for the last time. We both had just begun to step out into the world as adults. He wanted to check things out a bit. He needed to, and so did I, but I didn't know it. I was ready to settle down. I think that's what it was. Or maybe my coming out. Or maybe he just didn't like me anymore. There are plenty of things not to like about me. Believe me. I knew it was rare for a first love to endure. Not everyone ended up like my parents, but some did. I thought we would. I thought we were outliers. 
On the corner, a kiss, fireworks, first love. I knew this movie. This wasn't the ending I saw coming. Gray Sky Morning by Vertical Horizon. I don't know if you remember that song, but it has a repeating hook of It's not so bad, you're only the best I ever had. That was on constant repeat in the CD player of my car. I had taken the runner to see them in concert not long after we started dating. One of my co-workers later told me she'd been there too that night and seen us. Oh, I could just tell you guys were together by the way you looked at each other. So cute. Here's my heart, and I'll be right back with a steak knife. Is there anything else I can get for you? A couple weeks later, I met my father at a restaurant downtown. For almost 24 years, he could fix anything. But this was different. He asked how I was doing, and he listened, and said all the right things. He always does. He assured me I wouldn't feel like this forever. Inconsolable, I reminded him of his beginner's luck. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Your mother was it for me. I don't have a lot of experience here. But like anything else, it just takes time. Ideally, he'd have said, when you see him at a bar dancing with someone else, don't drive to his new apartment and scale a fence to throw rocks at his bedroom window because you're not very athletic and you'll end up falling off the fence. Also, it's not helpful. Also, avoid drunk emails and voicemails. That would have been some rock-solid advice. Who knew? My father always knows the exact right moment to bring a little humor into tense situations. It's a skill. He took a dramatic sip of his beer, placed it back on the table, and then mimed answering a telephone. Uh, yes, am I speaking to the sexiest boy in the world? I looked up from my glass of oaky Chardonnay and started to laugh. When the runner and I first started dating, before I moved out, occasionally he'd call me on the landline at my parents' house. One afternoon, he did just that. I was in the shower and couldn't get to the phone. Dad picked up, and the runner, thinking it was me, inquired about the current title holder of the aforementioned accolade of sexiness. Uh, I don't think I'm the guy you're looking for. Then the line went dead. My father said he knew who it was. The poor guy was probably scared out of his mind, he said. And I was sympathetic too, but you know. The wound was fresh, so dad more than I. He told me, and he was right, that someday the runner and I would laugh about it. Having successfully resuscitated my smile, he checked his watch and asked me what time the show started. Oh, we should probably get going, I said. So you've never seen this show before? Rent? No, I've never seen any Broadway musical before. We were headed to opening night for the touring company in Boston. I ended up loving the show. 
At the end of the night, I walked my father to the parking garage. Then, for at least the 400th time in my life, and still counting, he patted me on the back and told me, everything will be okay. I really wanted to believe him. The Runner is a fond memory now. A picture in an album. And, like the boy before him, he left me changed forever. I'd be a different person today had we never met. I'll always be grateful that my first love was so much more sweet than bitter, and that it spurred me to come out to my family. And in a way, I'm even grateful he broke my heart. Some people, they meet one person, and that's it. I know a couple like that. A couple, actually. Outliers with completely intact hearts. But for the rest of us, ours need beating up to beat best. Like baseball gloves or ballet shoes or cast iron skillets. They need some breaking in. We need to be burned before we get it. Before we learn what's at stake. Before we learn the power wielded with those three words. Three words I said to you five years later, before you disappeared down a jetway. Back then, I couldn't name a single person who had been to the Tony Awards. Unlike you, the musical theater major, I was just beginning my Broadway education. I've come so far since then. The very first time we spoke, I told you I didn't know much, but I did love Rent. Light My Candle, Out Tonight, those were my favorites. But I'll Cover You, a song I never paid much attention to until you, was your favorite. It became one of mine, too. It became ours. So with you headed back to Los Angeles and me back to Boston after the wedding, the aircraft and my wine glass having just leveled off, it struck me serendipitous that out of the less than a thousand songs I had, those thousand sweet kisses played first on my freshly shuffled iPod. I thought about that night with my dad after the show when he told me everything would be okay. I thought there was no one in the known universe who could ever make me happy again. I was destined to be alone, each night in a dark room with a single candle, listening to sad acoustic ballads, drinking oaky Chardonnay. <laughs> but I was wrong. Dad was right. I'd survived to say those three words again. Even though I had no idea when I'd see you next, I was grinning, ear to ear. I wouldn't have to wait long. Less than a week after I got back to Boston, I got another package from you. As I cut through the cardboard, I was hoping for more Kulakus. But when I opened the box, I saw a bag the size of a small carry-on. And what was inside left me speechless. <laughs> 